Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, I am indeed Darren. Just make it clear. Um, I work in Hartford for the County Council. I work on their website. So if you've ever looked at information about your local library or your rubbish dump, you want to find out where it is or what time it opens, or you want to find out about how to apply for a blue badge parking permit, how to go about fostering and adopting a child, school governance, that kind of thing, it's likely that I had something to do with that information. Ooh, yeah, not as impressive as it sounds, believe me. Um, I live in a wonderful place called Stevenage, which is not as bad as it sounds. I know some of you have the privilege of working there. I have the honor of living there. And I'll tell you, there's a lot more going on in Stevenage than you might realize. For instance, did you know that the renowned author E.M. Forster, whose books include A Passage to India, More Angels Fear to Tread, lived in Stevenage? Mm. The book Howard's End is based on a house that's actually in Stevenage. And did you know that the most valuable, collectible motorcycles ever made were made in Stevenage? Wow. Yeah. The Vincent Motorcycle Company was based in Stevenage. And as if that weren't enough, there are seven lumps of grass in Stevenage which date from Roman times. They're right at the back of the Asda car park in Stevenage, <laughs> so check them out. So I would encourage you all from this moment forward to be more generous in your thinking when it comes to Stevenage. <laughs> he is indeed. There you go. It just gets better and better, doesn't it? <laughs> now, of course, I'm not going to pretend Stevenage can compete with somewhere like St Albans. You know, let's get real. You know, but I was born in St Albans, so I can be very generous in my acceptance of that fact. Yeah. Now, when I heard I was going to be speaking about generosity, following on from Dom's excellent preach last week, I was really inspired, because we all know that generosity is a good thing, don't we? It doesn't matter what your background or belief is, I think it's safe to say that we all know that generosity is something that we admire. It's something wholesome, it's like a, a loaf of Hovis bread, you know, it's really wholesome and, and yeah, it's just something really solid and, and honest about it. But at the same time, I knew I was going to be very challenged preparing for this subject, because... Generosity isn't something that I find easy. It's not something that I'm naturally inclined to do. I know I should be generous. I know God loves a cheerful giver. But I often find myself in the mindset of, oh, Lord, yeah, I know I should be generous. I know you love a cheerful giver. But now's not the right time for me. I just can't afford to be generous right now. I haven't got anything to give right now. If I had more time... If I had more skills, capabilities, resources, more money, maybe I could afford to be more generous than I am. But right now is not the time. I call that the kind of Del Boy mindset, you know? <laughs> this time next year we'll be millionaires. Lord, maybe this time next year I'll be, I'll be in a position where I can be more generous than I am, more giving than I am. But right now, now's not the time. I've got nothing to give. Lord, as we look at what it means to cooperate with you in our giving. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what it is you want us to receive from you this morning. May we learn to trust you with the gifts you've given us. And may we be forever changed for your glory and delight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the title of today's message is Cooperating with Christ. And I've only got one point for you this morning. 
Sorry to disappoint you. But it's this. Where we see lack, God sees opportunity. Where we see lack, God sees opportunity. And we're going to look at a very famous passage in Scripture which illustrates that point really beautifully. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6, and it's verses 1 to 14, and it's this very famous story of where Jesus feeds the 5,000. So I'm going to read from verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now those of us who have been Christians for, for some time or have been around church, we've heard this story many times. And it's easy for us to get complacent about what that means, to take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 people. Let's just think about that for a second. 5,000 people. I've got a, the next slide, the Albert Hall, just giving an illustration, holds just over 5,000 people. That's phenomenal. If you've ever been into the Albert Hall, it's an incredible building. And if you're there, you see the amount of people. Just imagine five loaves and two fishes going around there. Now, the scripture tells us that this was the number of men who were there. With women and children, the estimate is more like 15,000 people. So we're looking at three Albert Halls worth full of people that were fed with five loaves and two fishes. Now, that's something to, that, that just blew, blew my mind when I was actually reflecting on that again. So let's not, take, let's not be complacent about how significant and what, what an amazing thing that is. And what I love about this passage as well, it reveals quite a bit about the character of Jesus. He, has, he sees the people, and he has compassion. He cares for them. He knows their need, and he knows the solution to their need. He knows what he's going to do. And what, what I love about it is when he says to, to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? I imagine Jesus kind of winding him up a little bit. Philip, where are we going to get food for these people? And the scripture tells us he already had, Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. We know Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but let's remember that when he was walking the earth, he was effectively a little more envisioner, wasn't he? He was a young guy. He was, he was a cool dude. He, I, think, I think he had a really good sense of humour. He already knows what he's going to do. 
but he's testing the disciples. And aren't we like the disciples very often? Philip says eight months' wages wouldn't be enough to feed these people. So what he's done is he's looked at what's there, the five loaves and the two fishes, and he's looked at the problem that needs to be solved, and he's mentally calculating it in his own mind, thinking, there's no way that's possible. Now, we know that the scripture here says that the crowd were following Jesus because they knew that he had healed the sick. So they were following in faith, knowing that here, here was the Son of God who could heal the sick. The disciples who have been hanging around him, who have seen his power firsthand, when it comes to it, and they see such a, an impossible circumstance and an impossible resource to meet that need, they begin to doubt. How often do we do that? I know I've certainly done that. I've seen the power of God in my life, but I've been faced with circumstances where I think, whoa, no way, this is, this, I can't handle this. This is, this, is, this is too big, too much. But actually, Jesus has the solution. He says to the, have the people sit down. He gives thanks for the bread, for the fish. And what I love is that he gives the people as much as they want. It's not that they have a couple of bites and they have to pass it around. He gives them as much as they want. So we have a God of abundance. He's lavish, bountiful. But he's wise. Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. We are to be wise, not wasteful. Lavish, yes. Bountiful, yes. But we are to be wise with what we've been given. Now, do you feel that all you have to offer are loaves and fishes? You could be sitting here thinking what you have isn't enough. I've certainly felt that. Often, as we're going to go into a little bit, but God, where, where you see your lack, God sees opportunity to bless many. This child who had the five loaves and two fishes, the scripture doesn't tell us the, the actual moment when he gave over the, the, the loaves and the fish. Was it willing? Did he say yes? Take it. Or was he reluctant? Maybe it was his family's packed lunch for the day. Maybe they'd come to, to hear Jesus on the mountainside that afternoon. We don't really know the specific of that. But I like to think, yeah, he was willing to give it. And because he was willing to give it, Jesus took it and multiplied it beyond anyone's expectations. We need to be more like that. We need to be willing to give the little we have, whatever it is, into the hands of Christ. Because he can transform it beyond anything we can imagine. Now, we know every good and perfect gift comes from above. In James 1.17, it says that, from the Father of the heavenly lights. So everything that we have, however big or small we think it is, it's actually given to us by God. He's given us each gift that we have. So when we're giving back to him, essentially we're giving him what's already, what's already come from him. C.S. Lewis expressed this very eloquently in his book, Mere Christianity. And this is what he says. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving, your limbs from, mo from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in a sense his own already. So that when we talk of a man doing anything for God or giving anything to God, I will tell you what it is really like. It is like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. Of course the father does, and he is pleased with the child's present. It is all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good on the transaction. When a man has made these two discoveries, God can really get to work. It is after this that real life begins. The man is awake now. 
put that into, into some sort of an everyday context. Let's say Phil here gives Benjamin 50p one day. Benjamin trots down to the shop, buys a Yorkie bar. I don't know, Phil, you look like, you look like a Yorkie guy, solid, kind of no-nonsense kind of dude. He gives, gives Phil a Yorkie. Is Phil financially better off in any way because Benjamin has brought him a chocolate bar? No, of course he's not. But how does Phil feel? It's a gift from the child's heart to the father's heart. And that's priceless, isn't it? It's not about the value of the gift. It's about the heart behind the gift. Parents here with young children, your, your child could draw a picture. It might just be squiggles and lines to the rest of the world. But to you, that's something special. You might want to hang that picture up on your wall. God doesn't expect us to draw masterpieces. Our squiggles and our mess, in his eyes, are different to how we see them. For him, they are wonderful things, and he will hang them on his wall, and he'll say, yeah, look what my child did. My child did this. We need to be more childlike in our response to God and say, Daddy, Daddy, look what, look what I've made you. Look what I've done. Even though it may look like anything to the people around us, we need to have that security that God rejoices over the things we bring him because he's given us our gifts in the first place, and we're just giving back to him something special. Another illustration, I, I look really tough and all, like a tough guy, but I'm actually really so, big softy and I'm very sentimental, which I don't think is a bad thing, actually. Um, this pound coin here, pound coin like any other, one of the new ones, but this pound coin to me is special. Why? It's just like a pound coin. My perspective on this pound coin has been determined by the person who gave it to me and when they gave it to me. It was a special moment. It was we shared a joke, we shared a laugh, and they gave me this pound coin as a gift in love. So I'm not gonna, I don't spend this pound coin. I keep it separate to my other pound coins. See, my, see, this pound coin is probably worth more to me than a £10 note. Is it worth more than £10 to anyone else? No, of course it isn't. It's just a pound, but to me, it has, it's a thing of value. And that's how God sees our pound coins. It's, they are something special, because it's about the heart and the moment that you gave it as a gift. Now, in 2 Corinthians 8.3, Paul is writing to the Macedonian churches, and he says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, even beyond their ability. How do we see our own ability? We define ourselves and, our, and what we can do by our circumstances. I know I've certainly done that. When um, The example I'll give of that was when I first went on my first church trip to Russia. Went on this, this trip. I felt God was nudging me to go to Russia with the church. Made no sense to me, but I thought, okay, Lord, I'm really feeling that strong pull to go to Russia. I'll go. But I went with the team, and I was just full of doubt because I looked at my own abilities, my own resources. I thought, I've got nothing of value to add to this trip. I've got nothing of value to add to this team. And because of that, I felt reluctant to go. But I thought, God, was no, you're going, you're going. Okay. I looked at the people who I was going with, and I thought, wow, these people are amazing. They're, they're pillars of the church. They, they, they really are are doing things for God, and they can do things for God. They're bearing so much fruit for the kingdom. And there's me. Nothing. That's how I felt. But what little I had, I gave to God on the trip. And he showed me, actually, no. 
You, you go somewhere, you pray for people, you support the people you're with, and you bless people by doing that. And when I realised that, it encouraged me that actually, yeah, I can, I can encourage people. So when the opportunity came for future trips, I went on them, not knowing how God was going to use me, but I knew he could and that he wanted to use me. But when I realised that he wanted to use me, I felt encouraged and I understood then that cooperating with Christ is a joyful thing. It's not about pressure. It's not like you are being demanded to do things. No, you give willingly because you want to, because you know that you are blessing others, you're pleasing the Father, and you yourself are getting blessed as a result of that. Um, another thing about abilities is I remember when I first started tithing I had a problem with tithing I didn't tithe for a long time again it was the old Del Boy mindset it was like yeah when I get a bit better job or get a bit more money then I'll start tithing I'll be in a better position to be a blessing and I remember a few years ago I'd, I'd applied for this position I was on holiday I was waiting for the call to come through to say that I've got it I was so sure I'd got this job I was walking on the beach and I was saying yeah Lord now I'm going to start tithing. Now I'm going to be doing more of what I should be doing. You'll be happy, I'll be happy, it'll be hunky-dory, everything's going to be good. You know? And then I got the call, I was in Spain, I got the call saying, oh, you came a close second, but this other guy had this, had this thing that you didn't have. I thought, oh, great, okay. But I'd already been convicted by then. I knew that actually I've been long overdue in my tithing. I said, okay, Lord, I didn't get that result that I wanted, but... I am going to start tithing because I, feel, I felt compelled to do it. And, I re- and my attitude, I realised I didn't back to front. I was always giving before ad hoc and I was giving out of what was left over. I realised I need to give out of what's first, giving God the first fruits. And do you know what? I realised that all along I could have afforded it, actually. God, God always met my needs and, and surprised me. And I thought, wow, why didn't I do that before? I could have afforded it all along, but it was my perspective. It was, I was looking at my circumstance. I was looking at my what I perceive to be my lack of ability to give. And when I realised, actually, no, I've been looking at it back to front, that was really a moment of revelation. Yeah, and God's never let me down. God's never um, allowed me to go without since I've been doing it. And I feel, again, cooperating with Christ. I know I'm being obedient in that sense. And that kind of brings something with it. It takes you deeper into your relationship, I found. But it's done that for me. 2 Corinthians 8, 12 says for if the willingness is there the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what he does not have so if the willingness is there the gift is acceptable god isn't calling us to give what we don't have he's calling us to give what we do have he knows what he's given us every good and perfect gift comes from above from the father of heavenly lights he does not change like the shifting shadows he knows exactly what he's given you and he wants to make use of it. It's not about pressure. When we realise that, when we start giving back to God what he's already given us, and we see the result that that has in our own lives and in the lives of people around us, it encourages us to want to give more in whatever way that is. It's not just about money. You may be sitting here thinking, what are your loaves and fishes? What, can, what is it that I can give? Maybe you've got... Maybe you're good at baking cakes. I know some people here are superb at baking cakes. Maybe you can give someone lifts to the airport. You know, maybe you can help someone with their DIY, help somebody write their CV. What is it that you've got that you feel God has given you that you can bless somebody else with? Don't look at your limitations. Don't look. Don't look at yourself the way God. The, the way. Don't look at yourself the way, which limits yourself. 
it's said that the biggest enemy you'll face in life is the one you look at in the mirror. You look at yourself. That's not the way God sees you. God sees you as fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. And we need to begin to see ourselves more how God sees us. Um, you don't have to impress God with extravagance. It's just, it can be just a simple thing. Text message. See someone feeling lonely at coffee, give them a smile, go and have a chat with them. That's an act of generosity, isn't it? If you, especially when you don't feel like it. Step out of your comfort zone. Go and talk to someone. Give someone a helping hand. It doesn't have to be extravagant. Luke 21, 1-4, is, is, is an interesting passage which shows that actually it's not the size of your gift that's, that, that's important. It's the heart behind your gift. It's the widow's offering, a famous little passage. This is what it says. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Two small copper coins impressed Jesus more than extravagant gifts. Now, I just want to mention something that I saw once which um, contradicted this, and, it was, and I found it quite upsetting when I saw it. It was on God TV, actually. Quite a few years ago, they were running a campaign to raise funds for their channel, and they were getting donations sent to them from all over the world. And they had a live, a live broadcast to celebrate this. They had two tables. They were doing the broadcast from Jerusalem. On these two large tables, they had sealed envelopes. One table had envelopes of what they called small donations. The other table had envelopes of, with donations of over $5,000 or more. I thought, that's a bit disturbing. They've separated the, the donations into those amounts. Then the presenters prayed over these donations that they'd received. And then they went over to the table, which had the larger donations, the $5,000 or more in each envelope. And the presenters then said that they felt that they had to pray a special blessing over those because those people had given more. I thought, how dare they? How dare they do that? How dare they contradict directly what Jesus has said? How many widows with their two copper coins were on, those, was on the table that they ignored? My point of sharing that is this. Whatever you hear, whatever teaching you hear, test it against the word. We live in, we live in an age now with so much stuff being bombarded, so many messages, so much stuff on, on media, alternative facts and so forth. Test it against the scripture. It either ties in or it doesn't. And I, I never watched it since then. I stopped watching that, that channel. So, I just want to encourage you that whatever you've been given, God wants to use it. It doesn't have to be big. We are all given different gifts, different talents, different skills, different abilities, different resources. We're not all the same. If you, don't, if you, if you want to start giving more, but you don't know how, you don't know, you don't know what it is you can give, ask God. Spend time with him. Spend time in his word. Pray. It says in James uh, 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault. But when he asks, he must believe he has received. So ask God in faith. Say, Lord, what is it that I can give? What is it I can, I can give to cooperate with you and be a blessing? 
So I would encourage you, don't underestimate the loaves and fish you have in your life. The smallest thing can be massive. And in, in conclusion, I have, yeah, cooperating with Christ is joyful. When we discover that what we have can be used by God and that he really wants to use it, cooperating with him in our giving becomes, some, becomes something we want to do. It brings us closer to him. It's not about the value of our gift as we see it, but as God sees it. Our assessment of what we have is different to God's assessment. Where we see lack, God sees opportunity. Don't underestimate what you've been given. There's a quote I came across by S. Michael Hoodman, which says this really eloquently. God will shatter the pint-sized expectations of what his followers can do if they would learn to bring him what they have already been given. Little is much when God is in it. When Christians are willing to offer their lives sacrificially, relinquishing their hold on whatever God has given them in terms of time, money, talents, etc., God will use these ordinary things to create extraordinary things. Christians must never believe their resources are too little to serve God. It's not about the circumstances as we see it. It's how God sees it. What you have might not seem like much to you. But in God's hands, what you offer back to him is real power. So be encouraged. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The scripture says it. If you're generous, you will be refreshed. So stand on that truth. Believe it. Be generous, be blessed. And the final slide, give God your gift. He wants to use it.